Welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. My name is Jeff Patrick, and I'm a pastor down at the Memphis Union Mission, sitting in today for my good friend, Byron Tyler. Our special guest today is no stranger to most of our listening audience. Though she and I have never met before today, I've literally had one of her albums sitting in my office for the past 19 years down at Memphis oh Union Mission. Miss <laughs> Betty Stallnaker-Gibson, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Oh, thank you. I listen every day, so it's cool to be on the program myself. It is, it is. <laughs> Well, you and I have never met, but as I said, in my office, I have either one copy or several copies of your album that people have dropped by. It's called Above the Clouds. It was created back in the late 50s, early 60s. And why did they create this album? We were doing the television program in the basement of the Peabody, Channel 3. It was called Above the Clouds. Mm -hmm. I would sing and Jimmy Stroud would preach. Sometimes my husband and I would sing. Jimmy would always preach. And he would take the scripture and exegesis, pray, sometimes talk about local things happening in churches and what have you. But I would always sing. People would write in and ask for specific hymns or songs. And someone wrote in and said, why don't you make an album of all those songs that have come in as special requests? Mm -hmm. So Jimmy, being the consummate promoter, (laughs) took advantage of that. And he said, uh, I announced one day, that he wanted people to send in what was their favorite hymn. Mm-hmm. And that the number of the one that got the most numbers, you know, I think the 12 hymns. And if you, if you want your hymn to be on this album, please send it in. So they did. And then later after the album was made, I think it was at Pepper Studio at the time. And Tommy Lane got some folks from the Bellevue Choir and sang back up and I forgot who wrote the arrangements. Isn't that terrible? So many talented people are involved in an album, and the soloist needs to know all of that. <laughs> but it's been a while. Yeah, it has been a it year or two. It has been a while. So, 60 years. Mm. <laughs> uh, then he announced, uh, after he could show the album, you know, on TV, that they would be door-to-door rehabilitated guys from Calvary Colony. Right would be selling those albums for donations Mm -hmm. to the mission. And the donation would be $5. And uh, he had somebody made, out, I guess, out of the colony, make some little red boxes with a slot in the top and a a lock on them. And a a car or truck would have those guys, and they would slowly go make the neighborhood, you know, knock on the door, hand them the album, ask for the donation. And I was so grateful for that because— we had a lot of people write in and say they enjoyed the music and the preaching, and it was a blessing to me in so many ways. So the money raised from the sale of these albums built the current building there at 383 Poplar Avenue. It- yes, and you know, I really did not know that to begin with. Mm-hmm. I just thought we were helping. I didn't know we were doing <laughs> that well. Right. And uh, it was, uh, I can hardly speak of it now without tears because it just thrilled me so that I had a part. And here we are all these years later, and that building has become obsolete in a way where it's too small, actually. And so we're currently building a new facility at some location. (laughs) And so maybe we can go out and sell some more albums. I don't know. (laughs) When you said $5 per album, I'm wondering, in an album in that day, was that a little bit higher price than normal or was that an average cost? I think that was average cost. I think he was literally... uh, 
doing a good deal for all concerned. Jimmy was very conscious of of being fair. Right, know? right. And he was he was a go getter and all of that and a promoter, but he was very honest and dependable. And uh, he was a, a little guy, but very strong in his faith and dynamic preacher and just. Uh, a busy body all the time about the Lord. Well, when I travel and, and go speak about the mission or someplace speak in a church, many of the people will always talk about one of two people, either Jimmy Stroud or Verla Pettit. Yeah. Yes. And so, and I never had the privilege of meeting either one of those two. They're but, both fantastic servants of the Lord. The name of the album is Above the Clouds. That was the name of the show as well. Now, was it a television show or was it a radio program or no, both? No, it was it was a television show. And it aired every day or every yeah, week? Or I, I think it was every day. All right. And it was down in the basement of the Peabody. Mm-hmm. It was early morning yes. hours and stuff. And <laughs> yes, and in the wintertime, you know, it'd be dark sometimes when we go. And uh, I had two little boys, and uh, I remember wrapping them up in blankets and just throwing them under the piano sort of <laughs> during the, and my older son, who is 60-something now. I think he's 67. That makes me feel so old. Oh, come on. It's just an age. Just a number. (laughs) Anyway, he says, I remember waking up with the sound of the piano Mm. in my face because we were, uh, you know, finishing our Mm -hmm. night's sleep under the piano at the basement of the Peabody. Right. And so the Above the Clouds program went on uh, for many years. A part of it, I think, went on actually until Verla Pettit retired in like 89 or sometime yes, like that. Yes, and, and later than that, actually. I don't remember exactly, but it, it was after, I think it was after 2000. Because mm-hmm. um, I had vocal cord cancer in the year 2000. She came to my house one day, and I, I had been single for 13 years. Okay. And I was praying for a companion. <laughs> She said, I want you to quit praying for that. She said, you're a member of Bellevue. 26,000 people know you're single. Mm. <laughs> she said, and God knows you're single, yep. more importantly. And when God's ready for you to have somebody, he'll send them. And I understand. And, and he what, did. What year was it? And you met Mr. Gibson. and We married in 2003. Uh-oh, 2003. Okay. Yes. And I had... I had gotten over the vocal cord cancer, mm-hmm. but I wasn't talking very well. Right. Uh, the Lord has just really been very good to allow me to continue to function. I had one time at Above the Clouds that was traumatic, and that was that we were in a revival in Martin, Tennessee. We mm-hmm. did a lot of county seat town revivals. Right. We told the preacher that we couldn't stay whatever day it was, because we had to go back to Memphis to do Above the Clouds. Mm-hmm. A doctor there had a plane, and he said, I will fly you all to Mud Island and let you do the program and then bring you back. Mm. So we said, oh, okay. So it was very early in the morning. We landed in Mud Island and not realizing no cab, no no way to get to the mainland. Mm-hmm. So uh, we found on, along the shore an old beat-up canoe, and my husband, adventuresome that he was, found two big sticks, and he said, we're rowing our way to the shore. You're going, about get, that? you're going to get wet, but you keep going. So we did, and then we climbed up that muddy bank, just knowing there would be a cab there, and there wasn't. So we ran all the way to the Peabody. And our kids were being kept by a nanny at home, I think, at that time. And we didn't even... St- Stopped to see them. We got back on the plane, went back to Martin. 
Wow. That was a wild day. Now, this album that you cut was one of your first few albums, but how many albums were there total that you recorded over the years? 33. 33 albums. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah, never done. Many people never heard of it. Well, that, that's just absolutely. Millions don't even know it. Oh, man, that is incredible. Now, I saw where one of those albums you actually had the Jordanaires singing with you. Yes. And they sang with Elvis. Yes. It was recorded at the Benson in Nashville, and they were they were wonderful guys. We had a good time. I enjoyed them. And, you know, I was I was a, a friend of Elvis's. We were sat backstage together. Really? At Ellis Auditorium. And he was dating Linda Thompson at the time. He was I didn't think he would ever be famous. Mm-hmm. He was sending me Christmas cards and being nice. He's like friends, you know. I was happily married, and he was happily dating and all that, but it just tore me up when I realized I had thrown away every card he ever sent me. Wow. <laughs> well, he may say the same about you. So, yeah, you know. I know. And, and so those were big rallies they used to have downtown. I believe they were called Youth for Christ. Is that what they were? Yes, I, I was really not very involved in Youth mm-hmm. for Christ. That was kind of before my— Days of Memphis. Right. Uh, I lived in Ripley, Tennessee, and okay. I went away to LSU. And at college, I did all four seasons at once. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't come home for the summer, so that I didn't do. wasn't involved much in Youth for Christ. So you grew up in Ripley, came Tennessee, to Memphis. Yes. So, if I understand it correctly, you had a house or have a house in Ripley that people used to come to your house and you'd sing for them. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, it's called the Pascal House Ministry because my Maiden name is Paschal, and it means Passover, as you know. I didn't know. How about so that? So I uh, had that scripture on a little sign, you know, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I had a friend in the second singles department at Bellevue who saw me going through divorce, saw me sitting in the choir crying. I got a no-fault divorce. I did not want that. I did, there wasn't anything I could do about it. Right. It was done. But she called and she said, I've watched you go through crying and crying till now you're laughing and smiling. And I want to bring my second singles class up to your house and let you just talk to them about, about how you got through divorce. And I said, well, good. Bring them for lunch. She said, all right. So she called me a few days later and she said, there, there are going to be 42 of us. Wow. <laughs> I thought, oh, my goodness. What have I gotten myself into? Yeah, hopefully you didn't have to do all the cooking for I 42. Did, I oh, did. Oh, Lord have mercy. I got a, a friend of mine to help me. And we did, I never will forget it, we did huge pots of spaghetti. Mm-hmm. And apples were in and Ripley. And I got fried apples <laughs> and garlic bread. That was the dinner. Okay. <laughs> Spaghetti pineapples. No, you can't beat that. <laughs> well, anyway, I didn't expect anything like what happened. They kept asking me to sing certain songs. The songs would revoke testimony mm-hmm. about something. So it was talking and singing and talking and crying and singing and laughing. And, you know, and it went on about an hour and a half. And when they left... I stood out in the yard and waved goodbye to the bus. And when I went back in the house, there were dollar bills all over the floor. All of those dear, sweet people had apparently gotten their money changed into dollar bills. I did not ask for pay, but they just showered my house with with dollar bills. I need to invite them over to my house sometime. (laughs) And then when they got as far as Covington, which is about 20 minutes away, they stopped to... for a rest stop, and my friend called me back. Her name was Linda Swanger. She said, would you do this again for another group? And I said, sure. 
She said, well, I can get another group next week. That started it. And so we put the sign out, the Paschal House. And I, I talked for 13 years about how you can get through the tragedies of life with the good Lord. You know? And so for 13 years, you had your home open to people yes. coming and all and I these I still groups? do. It's, I've been doing it 28 years now. Oh, wow. But, of course, the divorce testimony mm-hmm. stopped when I married Jim Gibson. <laughs> right. and, and Jim, he was a, a missionary to Tanzania for, what, 14 years or yes, so? Yes, and his wife was a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I knew her well. I really did not know him that well. But um, one time when we were... Uh, having lunch together when she was on furlough and I, I happened to be home. I was kind of airing my complaints about my marriage to her, asking some advice, you know, from a Christian friend that was a close friend. Mm-hmm. And she said, I wish I could just fix it for you. She said, I just wish you had a husband like mine. And uh, of course, I never thought about that again. But uh, after she'd been gone and and Jim and I became good friends. Uh, I realized that she had already told me he was a good husband. <laughs> How about that? And he was. Dr. Adrian Rogers, I believe, married y'all? Yes, in the sanctuary. We had over 600 people and from 12 states. And so that video is on YouTube, and I've watched it <laughs> and, and laughed, and, and it was a fun time. looked like y'all had a really good time there. We did. We were very adult in our uh, understanding of what a second marriage was. You know, I loved his children. He loved mine. That's good. That's the way God wants it to be. That's good. Yes. I I saw where really before you got involved with Above the Clouds, you were one of the main soloists for Dr. R.G. Lee. Yes. Yes, Dr. Lee was so wonderful to me. He was a wonderful mentor, and he would tell it like it is to me, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, I was in the process of, of being separated from my husband. And I, I sang at a revival in Ripley where Dr. Ralph McIntyre was the speaker. Mm-hmm. He was also Dr. Lee's assistant okay. at the time. After I sang, he asked me if I would come to Bellevue and sing at their revival. I mm-hmm. said, oh, I'd love to. So on Friday night, I came to Bellevue. And strangely enough, one day when my parents and I were in Memphis, we stopped by Bellevue. And I said, I want to go in and stand at the pulpit. And I was a teenager, and are are very very young. I may not have been, I may have been past teenager, right? Maybe twenty. Okay. But anyway, I I stood at the pulpit and I I said, Lord, I want to sing here. Please let me sing here. Well, so that Friday night, I, that prayer was answered, and Doctor Lee was sitting in the congregation because there was another speaker for the revival mm-hmm. after the benediction, he stood up and said, I want this young lady to sing some for me. And if any of you would like to stay and hear her, feel free to just sit back down. Right. So some of them did. Betty Lenati Grice was at the organ. She was a brilliant organist. She also knew that I was a contralto and not a soprano. Mm -hmm. So she lowered everything Mm -hmm. about fourth or fifth. He would call out a hymn and praise the Lord. I knew it. I knew all the verses, and I did about six or seven hymns. And the way I knew those was all, I was an only child. My parents both loved the Lord. We sang hymns at home. We sang hymns in the car. We had a hymn book on the dashboard. 
when we'd go to Knoxville to see my grandfather, we'd sing all the way there and all the way back. And I knew all those hymns. I'm surprised that the ones I still know haven't sung in years, but right. the words still come. Anyway, so he, after that, he said, uh, I would like for you to sing Sunday morning before I speak. And I said, oh, well, I'd love to. I'd be honored. He pulled out a little paper hymn book out of his pocket, and he said, it's on page 39. He'll understand and say, well done. I said, I'm sorry, Dr. Lee. I don't know that song. This is Friday. He said, you will. Two verses for memory, please. So all the way home that night, my daddy let me have the light on in the car. And all day Saturday and Sunday morning when I was just before I got up, it's like all of a sudden the Word said to me what he wanted it to say, what the Lord wanted it to say, what Dr. Lee wanted it to say was, Mm -hmm. if when you give the best of your service, telling the world that the Savior is come, be not dismayed if men don't believe you. He'll understand and say, well done. Well, we need to hear that today. Yeah. And so I sang that at every meeting he did after that. And every convention time he spoke, he wanted that same song every time. Nineteen times at the Southern Baptist Convention. Dr. Lee was a tremendous man, did a tremendous work there. So many people admired him. Of course, even though he married my mom and dad, I never got to meet him. Well, Uh, you would never forget it if you did. He looked like an elegant Colonel Sanders. Well, I I, I hated to say that, but that's what I heard. (laughs) But I have heard his message, Payday Someday. There was an old recording, and I did get to hear that. I got to go back to Bellevue recently, like in the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. Uh, they had a Dr. Lee night, and they played Play Day Someday on video, and uh, I got to sing. He'll understand. Say, well done. Now, you had mentioned singing at the Southern Baptist Convention. I, I saw where, I believe it was in the year 2008, you were inducted into the inaugural conference of Southern Baptist Evangelist Hall of Faith. Tell me yeah. about that. Well, that is such a delight because you were voted on by your peers. It wasn't a committee that selected people. It was all of the evangelists would submit names of people that had been significant in their ministry and people that they felt deserved to be in the Hall of Faith. And I was so grateful to be the only woman. And I know why that happened. It was because Ed and I had what we called an open house after the convention. Uh, We would rent a big ballroom in a big hotel and put up our sound system and invite all the evangelists, singers, and uh, performers of any kind, instrumentalists, comedians, to perform on that open house. There would be, in those days, 2,000 preachers who would come to that event. Each person was given five minutes. Robbie Heiner, who was Jerry Falwell's soloist, sang one night a song that my son Lauren wrote called I Am Your Song. He booked 85 concerts that night because he sang there, and they could hear him live. It makes such a difference. Who wants to book somebody for a revival Mm -hmm. that they've never heard sing Mm. or or never heard preach, you know? So I think the open house service, so to speak, is why people uh, voted for me, because I, I was the hostess for that, and I allowed so many other people to perform. In fact, we've seldom performed ourselves. We had other people do it. But 
those people got bookings because of it. It is in the days when there was no internet, no Facebook, no cell phones. Um, that's the kind of life we had. We lived from county seat town to county seat town in a Greyhound bus converted to a motor home parked behind the church, uh, plugged into the church's electricity and water, serving in in ways that a church doesn't even think of today. Yeah, that was high time in those days, and today they'd consider that suffering for Jesus. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we had sometimes 7.30 in the morning revival services in a rural mm. community where the farmers were because they wanted to come to church. So they would come at 7.30 in the morning, and then we might go to the Rotary or the Lions Club at noon, and the public schools, we could get in in those days. Mm-hmm. When we were local radio and television, sometimes I sang as many as 10 times in a day. That's incredible. In a small town, you wow. know, because you could could do all that. Then at the mission, we have chapel twice a day, seven days a week. And through, this, through this COVID virus, we had to stop Aww. all the pastors from coming in. So that means that me and one other guy were preaching Every day, and, and so for five months now, we have preached twice a day, and and, Bless your heart. and so that has worn me out. So I can't imagine yes. singing ten times. Well, you learn to pace yourself. Yes, you, know? you do, and you learn to get out of there as soon as you get through. Because even though you want to stay and visit and mm-hmm. minister, you can sometimes. But if you do it ten times a day, you don't have a voice by night. You know. Now, did you ever have any professional training on your voice? Or oh sing? yes, yes. From the time I was born. Right, right. <laughs> I was singing uh, the role of Gretel when I was five years old at Freed Harbin College in their opera series. So I've had voice lessons all my life and all through college and a master's degree and a doctor's degree. And sometimes after that, I've had some lessons. Well, you've had an incredible history. I mean, you know, just incredible life from working with uh, Dr. Lee yeah. uh, to the, Dr. Rogers, and Dr. Rogers, and great evangelists like Criswell and mm-hmm. John Bassanio and Charles Stanley and all those wonderful people. Absolutely incredible. And then be part of the radio program and the television programs that went on in those days. I want to read you something that was written about you that's on the back of this album. But it said a recent letter requesting Betty to sing a favorite hymn was ended with these words. What makes Betty singing so different? She not only knows the song, but she knows the Savior. Can you share with me briefly, how did you come to know the Lord? <laughs> um, I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, it's strange to say that I feel I'm always... I've always known him. Uh, Being an only child, I lost two sisters. One was 19 months old and one was stillborn before I was five years old. And my parents grieved those children, Mm. and they were very close to the Lord because of those two deaths and because of uh, their natural instinct. They both, both loved the Lord. My father was a county agricultural agent, and he felt called to mm. do that. My mother's a school teacher, and she felt called to do that. I was about six years old, and we were in the First Baptist Church in Henderson, Tennessee, where mm. my father was county agent. And they had a big silver cup for communion, and they would pass it. And the man in front of my mama had a big uh, handlebar mustache. And when he handed the cup to my mother, he had grape juice dripping off his. After church that day, I said, Mama, when you get saved, do you have to take communion? 
And she said, well, yes, it's customary. She said, you get saved when you feel the Lord leading you. And I wanted to say, well, I felt the Lord leading me. I didn't want to drink after that man. My daddy was called to Ripley, Tennessee. First Sunday we were at church, I saw those little cups in the back of the pew. They were probably glass back then. Yeah. We were having a revival of great Dr. Hill. Man, I went running down the aisle. And I said, I've been a Christian a long time. <laughs> and when I was nine years old, he looked at me like, yeah, I bet. But really, I had been a Christian. In my heart, mm-hmm. I'd been a Christian for three years. I now could take communion and mm-hmm. be baptized. I was baptized, and my mama bought me a navy blue dress in the days before color fast clothing. I walked into the warm water, and it turned blue. And I thought, here I am, a new Christian, and I'm already doing miracles. (laughs) Miss Betty, I want to tell you, thank you for coming out today. My joy. Thank you for all that you've done all these years, for where I work down at Memphis Union Mission, for the Christian community, for the churches, the revivals you've been a part of, for this radio station. I know this is not your first interview. You've just done so much, and I just want to tell you, thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. It's been my joy, and I've I'm so glad I got to meet you, finally. I'm honored to meet you. And, and so if people want to see what you're doing today, they can watch on YouTube or Facebook or something like right. that. So that's it today, folks. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate yeah. it so much. Thank you. It's good spending some time with you. We're just glad our folks got to sit in and listen as you and I talk. May God bless you and all those who listen. Today's Mid-South Viewpoint is brought to you by Navage. Just think about all the nasty stuff we breathe in every day. You know, the dust, allergens, bacteria, pollen, pollution. You know the things in Memphis here. What are we breathing? Well, if you wash your hands and brush your teeth every day, then why aren't you cleaning your nose to clean out all that junk that's trapped up in there? Let me tell you about this product. If you suffer from allergies, sinus infections, or are worried about what you're breathing in, it's called Navage, N-A-V-A-G-E. What's Navage? Well, it's the world's only nose cleaner with powered suction. People that have suffered from lifelong allergies call Navage a complete game changer. They are breathing more clearly, sleeping better, snoring less, and feeling a whole lot better. In fact, 90% of people who use Navage report feeling healthier. Now with cold and flu season just around the corner, why not make Navage part of your daily health routine? Experience what it's like to truly breathe better, sleep deeper, and feel healthier. Go ahead and visit Navage.com. That's Navage.com. Or you can find Navage at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Target. Navage, N-A-V-A-G-E. 